0: You're listening to Lost and Sound. My name's Paul Hanford, I'm a writer, a podcaster, and a DJ in Berlin, and I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the people who, when they make music, they do it utterly in their own way. Past guests have included Peaches, Chili Gonzalez, Ghost Poet, Letitia Sadier and first and more. And each week, I have a conversation with someone who I think approaches music in a fresh and exciting way. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I'm speaking to you today from Neukölln in Berlin. And my particular location is very, 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 very close to Zonenallee s-bahn station there's a lovely cafe with a terrace and i'm sat out there the sun is out the little yellow heat button in the sky has come out to play again for a couple of days so it's, it's just really really nice being in berlin right now catching a last bit of summer this interview what you're about to hear i was really excited about actually um it's with bob stanley Musician, journalist, author, film producer, who, along with Sarah Cracknell and Pete Wiggs, makes up St Etienne, the seminal St Etienne. And so it was really exciting to have this interview. They got a new album, their 10th studio album, I've Been Trying to Tell You. It's called, and that's out this week. Um, It's exciting for me because 30 years ago, when I was a 16-year-old, wet-behind-the-ears little indie kid going to the news agents every Wednesday to get Enemy and Melody Maker, listening to John Peel and listening to the new music show hosted by Mark Goodyear on Radio 1 in the evenings. Um, St Etienne really, really interested me from that point onwards because so much of the music that the indie world w- was w- was kind of either making in its various forms or writing about or playing and that in that in the whole sphere of that um and I do, do apologize to Bob for calling St Etienne Indian in this context I'm just talking about the context from which I first heard St Etienne it was because kind of very guitar some of it really good but very 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 guitar-y I guess and and St Etienne was just sort of I think I wasn't quite ready for them yet. I wasn't quite ready for electronic music and I wasn't quite ready for music that was influenced by club culture as well as 60s psychedelia and took in sampling and took in this kind of strange look at the past in a futuristic haze. I wasn't ready for it, but I was really, really intrigued and fascinated by it. And obviously, classic tunes like their cover of Neil Young's Only Love Can Break Your Heart and Nothing Can Stop Us and Join Our Club. And Avenue, yes, Avenue, um, just made me feel really, really sort of hazy and amazing at the same time. And one of the things I've really noticed in the last 10 years, and thinking about the fact that I was going to interview Bob Stanley today, was how... um, In the last 10 years or so, there's been this whole feeling with people making music that's futuristic yet melancholic and wistful as well. And maybe even thinking of the past in some ways. Like I'm thinking everyone from like sad millionaires like Kanye and Drake to the kind of laptop psychedelia of Tame Impala. There's this kind of sort of sense of sadness and melancholy and beauty whilst embracing the future. And I think that's something that, call it hypnagogic, call it whatever you want. Um, That's something that St Etienne, I think, really, really, really tapped into a long time before anyone else. And on their new album, they kind of explore the idea of, of British nostalgia between 1997 and 2001 how it's seen as being this kind of golden era now and was it and that's the question of the album was it um so this is what happened this is what happened when i had a chat with bob stanley hi bob how are you doing hey (laughs) all right
1: yeah sorry I i was waiting for the link to come through and then i realized oh maybe i got sent
0: it last week or something so i found the email but uh No worries at all, no worries at all, it gave me a little bit of extra time to recover from having one too many coffees earlier on and and stuff like (laughs) that, you know, know, and you can feel like your words kind of slightly tumbling over each other a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, Um, I can't drink coffee
1: anymore for that reason.
0: Oh nice, how long for?
1: Um, Oh god, I mean probably 15 years something now, I mean I used to drink it all the time and I just couldn't, I wasn't sleeping well. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's probably what it was. Sorry, i just take my shoes off. Um, and uh, yeah, 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 so uh, I haven't, I haven't drunk, uh, yeah, I, I love coffee, it's a shame. Uh, so I just drink decaf now and, and
0: tea. Yeah, yeah, at least you can get kind of good tea, uh, decaf in most places now as well.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. no, we've got some, um, what's it called? I'm let's find out because it's lovely, yeah, from this lot. Oh yes,
0: yeah. We have a lot of North Star in Berlin. Actually, it's it's always uh, I'm sure. yeah. I'm in Berlin. This is you can see out the window. There's a little. Well, you can't see much, but there's a little bit of uh, West Berlin out of the window. Uh-huh. There. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite have the impressive amount of books that you've got behind you there. Now.
1: Just... <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just showing up. <laughs> uh, mountains of children's toys in cardboard
0: boxes. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today. It's a a real pleasure to have a chat. Um, I really love the new album as well. And I I love the sort of um, the way you kind of captured or explored this period of time um, between 1997 and 2001 and, and taken an English perspective on it and used like I think it was was it all BBC samples or did you go further afield with at least what you can say in terms of
1: uh, oh no they're all field yeah um, yeah yeah I mean, yeah that's someone <laughs> <laughs> no no I think we recorded well I recorded half of them I think so yeah oh and Gus Gus records himself walking on the beach in Felixstowe and <laughs> and having a swim in uh, in a waterfall <laughs> in Yorkshire.
0: And he managed to keep his equipment not damaged through taking the swim as well. <laughs> so to speak. Um, yeah, I, yeah,
1: I don't know how he did I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask really. I didn't really think about him swimming in the waterfall. But, um no, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, there's like a hotel lift machinery in Cardiff, in a hotel in Cardiff. Um mm. sort of sounded amazing, so I recorded that when we were there.
0: What, what was it about that... that- pocket of optimism that era that that kind of started you and the band wanting to kind of explore it as a as a project uh, well initially it was because
1: there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff on uh, people put on youtube mostly people probably less than half my age who weren't even born in the 80s or maybe even the 90s um of uh kind of like sort of like found footage of um hotel corridors or shopping centers or things that just look kind of weirdly free of people but like have this kind of dreamy um, sort of idyllic quality with the, with this uh, slowed down music from the time uh, that's mm. been messed around um there's been uh, you know there's been there, people have been doing that for for a while now but uh, it was it's nearly always American I mean I can't think of any British example so I thought well how, how about trying to do something from a specific period when again people people look back to it. Fondly, and I was thinking, right now the situation we're in, certainly in Britain, uh, people will look back at the the, the late nineties, early two thousands, or, or the long nineties, as people are now mm. calling them, um, as a, as a, a, peri- a period of hope, even though there was like a hell of a lot of <laughs> terrible stuff going on. Uh, I mean, we we were in Berlin in ninety nine, uh, and that's when the Kosovo War was happening, or when when Britain got involved in Kosovo. Anyway, mm. uh, got a little bit strange um but not half as strange as the iraq war yeah um so yeah there was there was a lot of bad stuff as well but i think generally there was like there was no social media and there was um you know people didn't generally use the internet quite yet it wasn't an everyday thing that people depended on and so there was there was just it seems like a simpler time i think for for certainly people who weren't born at the time uh and sarah was saying the other day, it's uh it's really not dissimilar to the way that when we were in our know, teens and early 20s we we look back to the 60s and you think of the 60s you mm. think of the monkeys, you know <laughs> or yeah. new buildings going up shiny new uh, buildings with beautiful uh, stairways and yeah. um, sweeping away all the old victorian tat and obviously if you'd live if we'd lived through the 60s it's probably not how, how, exactly how we'd remember it so it's um, it's kind of it's to, sorry to get to cut a long story short the album's about how like memory can play tricks on you and uh, what we wanted to do was to create something that sounded like the period, but through this kind of fog. So it's kind of like an intangible uh, memory, um, something you, 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 can, you can almost touch, but you can't, because obviously no one can never go back, and uh, things are never quite how you remember them.
0: Yeah, very, very beautifully put as well. And I was listening to it in a cafe again this morning, and it's sort of got this kind of definitely I definitely felt I kind of weird I kind of woke up this morning at like five I just had one of those days where it's like that and listening to the album in the cafe this morning it definitely ha- sort of you know in, in a good way kind of made me feel quite discombobulated it's, it's I mean I think you know like I think of all your albums it's definitely one that feels like it kind of maybe isn't afraid i mean you've always done this but it isn't afraid to kind of play with a kind of slightly darker kind of feel i i, I got that sense anyway maybe it's my lack of sleep <laughs> <laughs> um no no i mean it's certainly not
1: it's certainly not meant to be nostalgic it's, it's meant mm. to be the opposite really um so that 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 makes sense i mean like people talk about nostalgia and and, and of course it's like it's, it's not not you know the definition of it isn't isn't a good thing at all it's it's an illness and it makes you feel makes you feel nauseous mm. so uh, there's definitely an unsettling <laughs> aspect to looking looking backwards and um trying to recreate the past in any way at all um which obviously Britain's doing quite a spade load at the moment it's really
0: yeah
1: <laughs> trying to like try and capture v e day as an endless existence yeah but um it's, yeah, no, d- definitely. I think it's, it's it's got a, it's got, a, it, it should have a darkness to it. I mean, it's, um, I think it's something we don't ever try and consciously do because if you try and consciously sound dark, mm. it, it's, you know, it's a lot, a lot of people do. But it's not, not saying we're, we're, <laughs> we're generally half class full people. So, uh, yeah, um, it's not saying we we set out to do, but it's, it's, it's bound to be there. Um, I think it's, there's people often, often say our stuff's melancholy, which mm. I think is, um, Uh, probably more more appropriate than as the turn and dark i suppose but um yeah good i'm I'm glad it left you discombobulated
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know you sort of mentioned about melancholy there and like you know i've always felt something melancholy about your music but in a way that i really love and i think you know speaking with other people that really love your music as well it's like there's a certain kind of beauty to melancholy there's a certain kind of wanting Melancholy, isn't that you know? I mean, for you, what is is your relationship with with melancholy? You know, do you see it as something that is kind of desirable in a kind of way that is like you can kind of feast on it, or is it, or is it just something that's like a side effect that you're just like, oh, fuck, we've written another melancholic song again?
1: (laughs) It's, um it can be a side effect, and I think a lot of things. I think of like, uh, um. Our aesthetic and things things that we like there's there's a, there's a Japanese term well it's pretty Do you know like wabi sabi which is about how something yeah. looks looks beautiful when it's slightly wrong or when like mm. you have got be- a beautiful building with paint peeling and it actually looks better with paint peeling and that's that, 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 that I mean that's again these things are quite hard to put your finger on but there's obviously a melancholy to that as well or or just how like you know like ruins can look more beautiful than a, a pristine condition building um beautifully mm. maintained National Trust building or something. <laughs> so uh, I think um, that kind of suits our estate. I've always been, since I was a kid, I was obsessed with derelict buildings, and now I live in uh, West Yorkshire where there's plenty of derelict yeah. uh, old industrial buildings. At least, well, at least the ones that are still standing. Um, and I, I, I love I love that look. And if you had actually had to explain why, it would probably be quite difficult. But um, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a melancholy to it, and I think. Um, it just comes, it just comes out in our music. I'm not really sure why, but it's um, yeah, we've got we've got our fair share of chirpy songs as well. Yeah. So, yeah, on the on the whole, I think uh, we all have minor chords. Yeah, uh, um, and if I have to think about my favourite songs, on, will say pet sounds. It'd probably be like Caroline No and God Only Knows, or um, yeah, that's, and, and, and we love um, John Barry is one of our sort of musical touchstones as well. Mm. His soundtracks, which obviously you know. The Bond theme is not melancholy, but a lot of his other work is. It's um, it's just those kind of chord changes and uh, um, are something we've always tried to, um, I would say copy. <laughs> we always look <laughs> looks at as, like, um, as things that we, we want to do. Um, and Pete's just had a film soundtrack writing course as well, so uh, we've got a degree. Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so there might be more of that to come.
0: Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I mentioned John Barry though. I think one of my favourite John Barry pieces is I don't know the name of it, but it's in the. Uh, um, I think it's a uh, diamond. No, you only live twice, and it's like this big sort of when you go into the underworld base. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of it's just feels so cavernous and melancholic.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think, that's a bit me. I think it's called space space march or space walk. I think maybe is that a, maybe that's not it. But that's a a really very sort of tense and uh, repetitive figure. It's uh, these big drums. It's a lovely bit of music. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think it would kind of repeat on and off throughout the film as well. It had that sort of motif kind of (laughs) feeling. Um, I mean, with with the album um, as well, like, did you discover anything yourself about this period of time that you felt that you had perhaps in your memory had got wrong? as well
1: um well certainly i i I remember labor winning the election feeling optimistic
0: yeah didn't we all yeah
1: (laughs) after 18 years of the Tories. so um that was uh yeah and and i remember thinking well yeah i know i can hear what they're saying but surely when they're in power they're actually going to be more socialist than this and of course they weren't but Mm -hmm. you know at the same time i was i was quite cynical quite quickly and you can look back and say well any any hospital or school or art gallery that's been built in the last 40 years, 40-odd mm. years even, um, was built in that period. It was built by the Labour government. So, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth. But, I mean, yeah, no, I was definitely quite optimistic. Um, mm. I think I was probably quite dismissive of a lot of um, the music that was around at the time as well, which, looking back, I kind of like the kind of more bubblegum stuff, the more mainstream radio stuff, which um, we've sampled mostly on the album. But um, at the time, I, at the time I liked it, but I probably wouldn't have admitted to liking it, which is quite unlike me. But I think it was, um, it was a really, it was a very, it's quite basic sounding, I suppose. It was just, you know, it was, it was like melodies came back to the fore. Mm. Uh, I suppose a lot of the nineties have been based around dance music or Britpop, pop. It was either scratchy guitars or rhythms. Um, and I think, the Spice Girls were probably the the thing that kick-started that. You got you know you then had this sort of bubble gum thing of Biddy Piper and Bewitched and Les mm. Club Steps eventually, and you also had the um, more radio two things like Natalie and Bruglia and Samantha Mumba and um, the Lighthouse Family mm. uh, with acoustic guitars and strong melodies. It was mm. um, so that was interesting. It felt it felt like a bit of a backward step at the time, but I mean, you know, looking back, I think people are really quite remember that quite fondly. Um, and it, it, it reminded me then of, of, of like the mid 70s, the kind of, sort of period between sort of glam and punk, where you just had like chart pop. It was, you know, it was hard, hard to know what it was. Before, really. uh, there was like records with like decent tunes sung nicely and with a quite a simple production. Um, so and I think maybe that, again, maybe that was a, a, an after effect of um, the, the anger at the Tories had obviously gone because they weren't in power anymore. And so people just like, could breathe out and put their feet up, and uh, yeah. that was the kind of music they made instead of uh, I don't know, stand down, Margaret or something.
0: Definitely, it's, it's it's kind of like it's like we can all go out or just sit and have a cup of tea. Kind of music, wasn't it? A lot of yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It reminds me of sitting around having a cup of tea. Definitely,
0: <laughs> yeah. I yeah. dancing to it. No, definitely, definitely. I think Natalie and Brunia pioneered a kind of form of tea drinking music. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's that's quite a claim, really, isn't it? Yeah. it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, and also at that time, it was quite unusual as well because, in some ways, like for, for at the time Britpop happened and 1997 happened, um, St. Etienne had been exploring certain aspects of British identity for the better, you know, all of that decade, really, you know, in, in various ways, uh, or another, book although, you know, there were certain similarities aesthetically and in, in terms of, like, sort of eras that, you know, you guys and some of the Poppers were into, I, there was always such, you know, there was such a sort of, I don't know, it just feels to me like, I mean, I can't imagine any of you kind of putting on a Union Jack uh, guitar or I'm not making a dig at a certain person, but, or, you know, going to meet Tony Blair, you know, it, it felt like there was a sort of, you know you you were never like jingoistic in it, and I think that's maybe the massive difference that I feel is like the way you explored it was was it, it was just such a sort of interesting way when when it got to Britpop, did you feel at the time that you related to these acts that came along
1: um to some of them more than others i mean i think there had there had been um there was there was select magazine cover in ninety or 92 even which had uh, Brett Anderson on the cover in front of a Union Jack which apparently he was, he was horrified about and was yeah. really cross it was at the height of grunge I suppose it like it had swayed us Denim and the auteurs as like sort of like four British bands who were kind of bucking a trend there I suppose um, but all of a sudden it completely different and um, and I think you know we if we were, the none of us were writing remotely jingoistic songs I think it was all <laughs> quite uh um, obviously, Brett, Brett Anderson's lyrics are mostly about concrete and um, mm. and uh, denim and the are both very wry. And, uh, and and there was us as well. So I think, uh, yeah, th- th- at that point, it, it, nobody was calling it Britpop and nobody was really draping flesh. Morrissey was the only... Was, the interesting thing was Morrissey mm. had worn a Union Jack, wrapped himself in a Union Jack, or played in front of one, maybe, sorry, in Finsbury Park. And people went mad. That was in like ninety-two, I think.
0: Yeah, I remember that, but, yeah.
1: Yeah, people really weren't having it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it changed really quickly. It was strange. And I think um, I remember, you know, the Spice Girl Cherry Hadywell wearing Union Jack dress. I mean, to me the Union Jack is, is always I grew up with it as like it just made you think of the National Front straight away. Yeah, it's like, yeah. um so if if you saw a Union Jack, you 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 walked in the other direction. Um but also it's just like you know, it's like a the last vestiges of empire. Really, it's like you know, denying Scotland independence, um, sort of belittling Wales, and 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 treating Northern Ireland the way England is at the moment. It's it's just it's awful, you know. They're they're independent countries, and that's what it makes me think of. It makes me think of empire. It's it's horrible. It's a horrible flag. So I would never. I don't really. <laughs> like, but we did a re, we did a, a fan club record once, which was um an artwork, which we didn't get clearance on because we only pressed like three hundred. <laughs> it was yeah. so. With that, with that, um we I mean, said that it was um, it was all flags with a cross through them. It's just like a, a I can't remember who did it. It was just like you know, like hundred flags and all had like a black mm. cross through them. It's like a, like a United Nations artwork, I think it was probably commissioned. Um, but, yeah, that's that, that's more <laughs> I think.
0: <really. laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I don't like borders.
0: No, no, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's, it's borders are just. Uh, um, I was going to make a really bad joke about waterstones then. <laughs> but I'm not going to. Yes, it was a one on Oxford Street. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, it's, it's, it's interesting as well, because it's like, in terms of this sort of feeling that you've always, whether consciously or not consciously, connected with, with the music. Um, in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a lot of music that's kind of come up that, in, in a very different way, has, has kind of connected with a sort of, maybe a similar sort of sense of... Like longing or melancholy whilst being futuristic, as well as what well at the same time, like you know, whether it's Drake and Kanye sort of being sad millionaires or, or like, sort of like Tame Impala doing kind of like laptop psychedelia, you know, and and, and stuff like that. And you know, it's, it's, it's really, inter- I mean, do you, I, I was really interested to know, I always love asking people why, you know, this has happened. It's, I, I feel that something happened around the millennium that. You know, maybe it's connected with what you were exploring with the album but, that kind of just killed an optimism or something like that, so that even a millionaire's now sad, writing songs about being sad. You know? well, why do you think that is?
1: Oof, I think there are a bunch of reasons. I think um the, the, the year 2000, I think, I mean, just calling it the year 2000 makes me sound old, because uh, <laughs> yeah. all through the year 2000 is unimaginable place in the future you know i remember new year's eve in 1999 and woke up and uh west seeing seasons in the sun was number one it's like yeah. well that's not the future i imagine uh, <laughs> that's not what i was promised so i think there's a, it's kind of a weird element of like the future didn't, didn't really exist after that um for some people but i think you have to be a certain age for that to happen And you know it, it, that's not why drake is making the records he is but i think yeah, I mean, I think yeah, September 11th, obviously, is kind of the, the beginning of our modern age. And the climate crisis has clearly become so um, awful um, and very, very present rather than something in the future. And again, that's something people think about what would happen in the future. or Maybe, uh, you know, all the, all, the, all the kind of like apocalyptic situations that get mentioned in London calling you know, the ice age is coming or whatever. Uh, but, it's you know, that was then like a kind of like a, a fiction then. Uh, and, and for the last 20 years, it really hasn't seemed like a fiction at all. So yeah. um, that's that's probably got a lot to do with it. I think it just feels like it feels like the end of days <laughs> quite a lot of the time. <laughs> isn't it? it's awful. But, you know, it's, it's really understandable how like somebody could be in a situation where they're a, a, a millionaire making records and thinking, I'm still not happy. <laughs> it's like I'm not really doing any good here. I mean Kanye is obviously Kanye's yeah uh, I haven't heard the new record yet but I mean it's you know he's he's made some of the obviously some of the best records of the last 20 years and you know Drake Drake is 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 fascinating the idea like you know 20 years ago somebody in hip-hop would be like making records like that is would have been unimaginable really um mm-hmm. in the 90s certainly um so yeah they're, they're, they've essentially forces for good i mean uh, but you know there's, there's other thing, things things i really like I, I, I love um pc music um, yeah me
0: too yeah
1: and uh, yeah what what they what they do again is kind of like so that's you know, what was now being called hyper pop mm. uh, but it's, it's that's definitely got a melancholy to it um even so like hey cutie it's like it's, it's kind of sounds like sugar sugar but it does because it's kind of mm. a, a weird darkness to it and uh, um and again it's like you know what Simon Reynolds used to call retro futurism where it's like sort of harking back to not that long ago maybe to the 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 80s or 90s but um but with this sort of like weird futuristic quality to it um which which seems to have now filtered down to a lot of chart pop but um yeah think AG Cook and Sophie uh were Mm -hmm. amazing That's that's the music that's got me most excited in the last 10 years and and kind of sort of of, the vaporwave type stuff that I was talking about earlier.
0: Mm.
1: Weird things on YouTube, which people don't even seem to really acknowledge as real music, which, again, I find fascinating because when that happens, it normally means it's really good.
0: (laughs) Totally. Totally. It's doing its own thing, isn't it? It's it's also like maybe it's it's using kind of the medium outside of music a little bit as part of its its way of... uh, being, you know, is is uh I think like I, I love the way like sort of really new things quite often absorb technology in in a way that um we haven't really considered as music or in the way that they're supposed to at least, you know, going back yeah, to like absolutely. sampling yeah. and stuff and you know distorted guitars even.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like not like abusive technology or mm-hmm. misunderstanding technology like acid house. Um yeah, all these things that sort of happen by accident because people have just got a new technology and not are not sure how to use it. Mm. I find really interesting as well. And it's like a r- real common thread. Um yes yeah, so, so sorry, I've written I've written a new book um which is coming out next April, um about the sort of uh the birth of Pop from like the first 78s up to mm. sort of the rock and roll era. Um, not sure who's going to want to read it, but it's a very dark <laughs> material. But it, but in that, all the way through, the uh, music, pop music adapts to technology or absorbs technology constantly. So you get like, you know, crooners, you get Bing Crosby coming along because of new microphone technology. Yeah. It wouldn't have been possible to sing like that before, and so no one did sing like that before. Uh, and then when that did happen, people accused him of um, of two things, accused him of like stealing everyone's girlfriends and wives by singing these romantic voices. <laughs> And also of not being manly enough, mm. um, it, and and the BBC banned it had a bank blanket ban on it um, because they thought it wasn't seemly. It's um, <laughs> it's amazing. But it's, you it goes all the way through pop music. So uh, yeah, the way technology gets absorbed, it's, it's it's fascinating.
0: I never, yeah, I love that thing about being Crosby. I didn't know that, but I think you know, it's like that idea that. Yeah, I guess, like, before microphone technology, to do that, you'd have to just, like, really shout the fuck out of, you know, be sort of, like, mountain shouting, really, against an orchestra, wouldn't you?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, we I mean, you see, you see pictures of, like, what studios look like um, before electronic microphones, and um, it's amazing, because, like, the, obviously the singer was near the front, because they had to be loudest, and the, the band was sort of put around the studio in various places. Well say around the studio it was a very small room as well yeah. uh, with the noisiest instruments at the back um he mm. just had to shout into this horn it's um yeah it's uh <laughs> <those records are laughs> to listen to unless you're an opera singer it's a struggle
0: yeah 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 which may i don't know do, do, is that is that connected to how opera evolved do you think to be able to to project a voice above other instrumentation i mean I don't know but
1: Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it makes
0: sense. I mean, I wouldn't want to presume that's why, but you kind of that could be a possible evolution of it. I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose the rooms would have been built to um, accommodate singers as well. The acoustics Mm. would have been designed for that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. That's a question. Yeah. (laughs) I've, I've written, s- The second book I've written on sort of like musical history and like whenever I get to the end of it, I think, yeah, but what happened just before that?
0: So, <laughs> I, think, I don't think I want to go back any further. <laughs> but do you do that with your albums as well? Like when you're working on an album, do you, do you feel like you're kind of, you're working towards something, obviously in a very natural way, you know, without contriving it? But then afterwards you kind of think, oh yeah, yeah, we didn't put that in it. And does that lead to another project? Or, or do you feel like you've done an album?
1: Uh, I th- no, I feel like we've done an album. To be honest, mm. I, don't, I can't think of anything where that's happened. We'll, we'll normally, like we'll we'll be happy with it, and we'll that will feed into what we do next to some extent. But almost always, when we start an album, uh, this one was an exception. But almost always, we'll uh, just start writing songs until some kind of theme becomes apparent. Mm. And then most of the early songs, like the first seven or eight songs that we we've written and recorded, will end up being B sides or whatever because they won't um fit the sort of tighter theme that's developed over mm. over the period um we don't we don't tend to write songs like no one's in our downtime but i mean like uh, mm. in, in between albums we'll, no, we'll normally start working towards an album um rather than just constantly writing at least i, I don't anyway uh, yeah sarah, sarah might more than more than me and pete actually because uh she really realized just working with other people and writing and doing demos so whenever we start doing them she's normally got four or five things to hand yeah uh, but um yeah no, no not not particularly I wouldn't say no yeah
0: and this is also because it's like uh, if, if, I, if it's okay to ask you a few questions about sort of like the early days and sort of really going back in time um, like, um so you and Pete were childhood friends yeah you? did you what was what was your sort of like shared kind of experience of becoming friends but did you bond over anything in particular
1: um well yeah, it was just um, our mums were friends we used to see each other all the time we didn't even go to the same school uh until we were um like 11 or 12 yeah i don't know i mean just you know, what, what did we bond over scooby-doo i, don't <laughs> know. I was, always had records i always had records in, in the house and pete used to come around and so i'd, I'd be the one playing records and when we got a bit older, he was the one who was into film. He, he knew a lot more about film than I did. Um, and would get me into, like, a lot of old films. While on telly, he'd, like, give me a tip on what to watch. Uh, but when we were proper kids, yeah, I remember I had a copy of Sugar Sugar, from, right, mentioning that again by the Archies, which I remember he, he used to want me to play every time he came round, at least at least twice. Um, so that was kind of our sort of, <laughs> sort of <laughs> musical memory, I suppose. Um but uh, yeah, then when we got a bit older, obviously when we were teenagers, we just buy records and go around each other's houses. And uh, his, his mum had like a, a, a garage with a with a room upstairs above the garage with a pool table. So I used to go in there mm. like most nights if I didn't have like much homework to do, um, and we just listen to records and play pool and uh, and, and uh, go, go go out to parties at the weekend, as, as teenagers do.
0: What kind of era was this? This was like sort of mid eighties, was it?
1: Uh, A bit earlier. That would have been like um, eighty to eighty-two. I suppose we were fifth form, sixth form. Yeah, I was 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 fifteen in nineteen eighty. So yeah, early eighties.
0: And that was like such a good era for. I mean, obviously, it's been written about a lot, and it's sort of how it's been this kind of amazing era for. Like, like you were talking about, like reevaluating the kind of nineties bubblegum pop as being good. Now, I mean, it was. It felt at the time that the early eighties pop was good from the get-go you know like you know obviously your, your, your Spandals and your uh Duran Duran's and, and your, the kind of uh, the uh um the sort of the, the kind of uh new romantic stuff as well were, were you into that
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um yeah I mean synthesizers becoming commonplace in pop music um and, you know, we were reading the music papers constantly every every week to read all four of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of absolutely fell for the sort of, kind of Paul Mornie's new pop line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then there was a woman called Suni who wrote for Record Mirror who'd like sort of bring in Buck's Fizz and uh, the Nolans into the equation and like, you know, yeah, but when you really listen to what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. And it was, like I loved all that. And I loved um, over analysis of like, simple pop music um which i've kind of made a, <laughs> I've yeah. made a sort of a living out of i suppose um <laughs> and um yeah no it was it was amazing because you had all these people who were like informed by punk but didn't really sound remotely like punk but were also had access to cheap synthesizers and so you got this like really uh, you know people like soft Cell, who like in any other period would never have had hits you know mm. they might have had like a you know a one-off club hit with tainted love or something that would have been it Mm. Uh, And the Human League obviously came from this, um, you know, sort of dark kind of synthesizer sound um, with like slideshows of Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds and Phil Oakey's bizarre lyrics about... um, you know, a crow and a baby, songs like that. Yeah, really, yeah. did not sound like hits, at all. Um, <laughs> and it uh, sort was of only slightly adapted, and suddenly they were number one in America. It was, um mm. yeah, it was an incredible period, and I think it's um it sort of came crashing down very quickly once the major labels worked out they could kind of manipulate it and bring in whatever, Kajagooga or Nick Kershaw in, in place of uh, these very odd people from art school. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um yeah, but yeah, from, from so yeah eighty to eighty two, I think is is a, a, incredibly, yeah, maybe the most fertile period in the whole British pop history. I think really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful. I remember being a kid at the time, and I remember um, borrowing bits of my mum's makeup to try and do like Adamant's kind of, you know, he, he had the sort of no, thing, the nose thing for a while. Then he had the cheek thing, yeah. and so sort I of trying yeah, to yeah. Co- copy that and making a real mess, and my mum being really angry. Going, what are you doing? My dad's sort of worrying a little bit what I was doing with. <laughs> With my mum's makeup and stuff, <laughs> to, to me, it just felt really innocent and natural to sort of emulate your heroes like that. Yeah, you know. absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that's another aspect of it. You know, I, I had the same thing with my my dad when Culture Club were first on TV, and, uh, and it's really unlike him. I've, I've said this story before. I feel slightly bad about it, but like uh, Pete, Pete was round. It was me and my sister and Pete watching Top of the Pops and Culture Club were on, and he walked in. What? What the bloody hell's that? What, George? <laughs> we we were like sort of sniggering at his reaction. He said, don't know what you're laughing at. You wouldn't laugh if I came home dressed like that. <laughs> like, we probably would. Well, no, actually, no, we probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> probably wouldn't <by> <laughs> yeah. But, that, yeah, that was, that was, that was again, it was another hugely important thing. So, yeah, like mm-hmm. Phil Oakey started wearing makeup, uh, having not done before. No one thought that was odd. No one thought there was mm. anything strange about it. Um, amazing, really. I mean, uh, yeah, adamant makeup, that's great.
0: <laughs> and like and as a as sort of decade went on and then and then at the end of the decade St Etienne kind of emerged and and you know so obviously it was quite interesting because I at that point I was about 16 and I was reading Melody Maker and sort of very absorbed in things like Everett True and people like that had to step to say and and I always loved reading your interviews because they sort of felt so sort of like encyclopedia of what's going on um but and but it was really interesting at the time because in the indie press as well it felt like to me you guys were kind of there was more electronics going on there was more involvement in a club sound even though you had like baggy as well um uh but it sort of felt like did you feel like kind of outsiders when you when you were doing this because it was it was quite unusual for a band that were picked up by the indie press to be so interested in pop and so interested in, in kind of club music. Um,
1: yeah, I suppose we did. I mean, we, we, we obviously had huge imposter syndrome at the time as well, because we weren't really musicians. Um, Mm. certainly is now. I'm I'm still not really a musician, (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah. So we, we, we definitely felt like, felt like outsiders. We were, Probably more comfortable spending time with uh, sort of indie guitar bands um, mm. than the sort of uh, the, the club scene, which I was always slightly intimidated by. Pete, Pete again fell into it more <laughs> than I did. I used to go out dancing, go to clubs, mm-hmm. and, and find it really exciting, but I always felt like I, I was uh, in, in the wrong place. I really. <laughs> wasn't, dressed, wasn't dressed properly. Um, didn't look cool as all the people from Slough or wherever. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know. And at the same time, we 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 really loved '60s psychedelia. And um, I think when we when we when sampling gave us the possibility of actually making music, we really wanted to include incorporate everything that we liked. And I always found it very strange that people would have like quite broad taste in music, but then the, the music they were making sounded exactly like other contemporary bands. It's like, why would you do that? I never really uh, never really understood that. And I think because we'd never been we weren't like sort of trying to play guitars when we were teenagers or anything. Um, we'd never been in that kind of like, you know, that like sort of transit van toilet circuit. Thing yeah. And having to accommodate the bassist, terrible ideas or whatever. <laughs> so um, it was, uh, we, we didn't start doing things till we were in our mid twenties. Um, I think we had already had like a lot of ideas in our heads of what we wanted to do. And it was certainly, it was, you know, we didn't want to make records that sounded particularly like anybody else we wanted to sound like eight different things at the same time and see if it worked um which just seemed like an, an obvious thing to us in the same way that like you know doing your own artwork or getting someone to do sleeve notes all, all of these things all seem like an important important part of the, the whole deal really
0: yeah and I think, I think they are now that's a lot more absorbed in and a lot of artists have to do that more now kind of through economic reasons and through the way that the sort of industry's restructured itself, you know, it's, and and everyone's got like more slashes in their job titles as as well, as well now. (laughs) Are there artists kind of going around at the moment that you kind of feel like you relate to in that sense? That sort of, I mean, you mentioned like PC music earlier on as well. Um,
1: Yeah. I, I, I I mean, it's people like Jane Weaver who, um, yeah. She, she's she's younger than us but um she's she's also not not in her 20s so i think uh the fact that she's she's like had this big career change and gone from basically being like a folk musician to creating this beautiful kind of crystalline electronic pop um which you you know i remember hearing in top shop before it disappeared mm. and thinking, oh god you, jane weaver's playing in top shop that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> the proper achievement um yeah people who are kind of like open to change like that and i think i think when you're younger like sort of pc music it's like um it's you know when we were in our 20s we had all these ideas of things we wanted to do and it's kind of uh, uh but for someone you know someone like jane's do it relatively late career or some sort of mid career do this big change and and make records that are like way better and more successful than what she did before is is, mm. is that's that's terrific and you know it's it makes you think you know says so there's no point in stopping, you know, if you, if you've got ideas in your head, then as long as somebody wants to help you put them out, that's great. Um, mm. uh, so I can't imagine we're going to stop. I mean, we're, we're quite, we're obviously quite pleased with this album, because mm. uh, it doesn't really sound like anything we've done before. Um, and feels like something new to do, you know, sparks, I mean, sparks are another example. Yeah. Somebody just like, you know, it's, uh, it's not like just keep going like stones did and <laughs> just did the same thing <laughs> Mm. They're actually always sounding slightly different, which is uh, um, you know, why wouldn't you? Why would you want to make the same record over and over? I can't. I can't get that either. I'm very, <laughs> you know, very boring. Mm. Just trying to make records you think your fans are going to like. Very boring.
0: Have you have you seen the Sparks documentary?
1: I haven't. Not yet. No. Yeah. No. um no, have you seen it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's really good. I mean, they've got a lot of really good material to kind of make a really good documentary out of, but it's also, um, it kind of captures something. It feels as much a portrait of the two brothers whilst keeping their enigma as well. So I think that's like a real nice art so that you don't actually really find, you feel like you're finding something out about them. And then afterwards you're like, you didn't find out anything at all about them. and that's kind of what i that's kind of what i want from my sparks really is is it's like yeah. a, it's like a an illusion i guess
1: yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean who really knows anything about them
0: yeah. well thanks so much it's been really lovely to chat to you especially like sort of since being immersed in your music for about 30 years it was nice to have a chinwag and stuff like
1: that right. yeah that was lovely it was a nice chat thanks,
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks so much take care bye-bye yeah bye So that was Bob Stanley from St Etienne talking to me, Paul Hanford, for Lost and Sound, and we did this interview on the 7th of September, which coincidentally is the day that I'm speaking to you right now. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks for being so lovely to chat with. And the album, I've been trying to tell you, is out. If you're listening to the podcast this week, it is, the album is out this Friday. Well worth checking out. Well worth checking out. There's an accompanying film made by the acclaimed photographer Alastair McClellan. Sorry if I've said that wrong. I'm a little bit on the coffee today. So I'm a bit like, I woke up at about five this morning. So I'm a little bit, yeah, my pronunciation of life, just generally, not the word life, I can pronounce that, but everything surrounding life is a little bit wonky today, which kind of suits, you know, the experience of listening to, I've been trying to tell you in a weird way, um, but there's an accompanying film as well. Um, Thank you so much, Liana for sorting out this interview thank you to ESO as well for the theme music thank you to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels and thank you to Bear Radio for hosting this podcast and if you want to check out other English language podcasts from Berlin check out bearradio.org there's loads there hope you're having a really lovely day hope you're having A day full of magnificence and cake. Um, Yes. Take care and speak to you soon.